you for watching today. I pray that the message you're about to hear will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on the on-demand page of walkingbyfaith.tv or on our app. We're continuing on this week with Just Say No to Unforgiveness. The number one thing that hinders our faith is unforgiveness. Today, Pastor is not only going to teach us about what holding on to unforgiveness does to our lives, but he's going to give us the steps to move forward. Let's take a look. I wanted to continue today, the series we began last week out of Titus chapter two. And the name of this series is Just Say No. Um, who's it, Nike, who says just do it? Yeah, but God's grace says just say no. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared and offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodly worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So the grace of God teaches us to say no. Many people think that the grace of God just enables us to keep sinning and we're forgiven. But the Bible says what grace does is it empowers us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright life in this present age. Uh, sometimes people think, well, you know, that salvation only begins when I die. But no, it begins the moment that you and I pray and get right with God. So today, I want to simply talk to you about saying no to unforgiveness. No to unforgiveness. Mark chapter 11. Jesus has cursed a fig tree and it died and the disciples draw Jesus' attention. And Jesus begins to talk about faith. In fact, this is, this is the greatest detail of teaching on faith we find anywhere in the entire Bible. And Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty three. For assuredly or verily I say unto you that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say to you, what things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. This is the teaching on faith. And we're not going to talk about that. But then Jesus talks about the greatest hindrance to faith. He says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now notice that, that 21st verse. He says, and whenever you stand praying, or other translations, every time you pray. Uh, I, I want to ask you do, you, do you think about forgiveness every time that you pray? Jesus thought it was that important, that we should never pray without looking at our hearts and seeing if there's something in our heart towards somebody else, something evil. Uh, we, we have ill will towards somebody every single time that we pray. And notice he said anything. It doesn't matter what it, what it was. 
And this is not to minimize what was done, but this is to say it doesn't matter because what we think is unforgiveness hurts the other person, but it really doesn't. As you've probably heard it said, having unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. Because it doesn't hurt them, it hurts you. Notice anything and anyone, and it's usually the people that are the closest to us that hurt us the most. So three things that are all-inclusive, every time or whenever, anything, anyone. Jesus is, he's being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, Judas, excuse me, comes up, betrays him with a kiss. And Jesus said, friend, he did not hold that against Judas. He immediately forgave. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And in the Lord's prayer, he taught us to pray, forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And emulating Jesus when Stephen, the first martyr, is stoned, he is being stoned to death and he cried out in a loud voice and he said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He's forgiving as he's being stoned to death. I think it's easy to see that forgiveness lies at the very heart of the Christian gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God is a gospel of forgiveness. And Christians are to be the forgiving community of forgiven sinners. The forgiving community of the forgiven. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, it says, for God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Uh, much of the criticism that we find of the Bible is found in the Old Testament. This verse makes something very clear, that everything changed with Jesus. In Christ, God restored the world to himself. In the Old Testament, it says that your sins are separating you from God. But the New Testament says because of Christ, your sins are no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Everything changed at the cross. And the Bible says this is the wonderful message that he's given us to tell others. You see, you, we receive forgiveness but God hasn't just forgiven you and just hasn't forgiven me. What Jesus did at the cross wiped out every person's sin, every person's sin. In the Apostles' Creed, how many of you went to a church at some time where you would repeat the Apostles' Creed? Great creed. Um, we, we, we had the Apostles' Creed by the year 110, basically in the form that we have it today. It's the oldest Christian creed. And in the creed, it says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And we tend to think that it's just talking about our being forgiven. But the actual original meaning was that we forgive others. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Not to trivialize any sin, any wrong, any crime, any abuse, rape, murder, crimes or injustices that have happened. 
But the power of the gospel is that there is forgiveness. One of Jesus' disciples, Peter, came up to, to Jesus and said, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? He said, up to seven times? He thought he was being very generous. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, that would be 490 times. And by the way, it's talking about in one day. All right. So the disciples freak out. And this is what they say. This is in Luke's gospel, the same Luke's account of the same situation. The, the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> and this is an important line because you forgive by faith. You don't forgive by feelings. Right? You forgive by faith. And, and as we close today, we are going to talk about the four elements of forgiveness. Because there's four elements in forgiveness. And when we forget any one of them, we don't receive the full benefit of forgiveness. Right? So Jesus tells them this story. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's like a billion dollars. And he said, hey, just give me some time and I'll pay. I just want to ask you personally, if you owed a billion bucks, how long would it take you? <laughs> I mean, like, it's like you're buried. There is no hope. And the master knows and he forgives him that debt. And then he goes out and finds somebody who owes him 20 bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me. And he says, well, just give me some time. How many of you could pay back 20 bucks if you had to? Had some time, you could pay back 20 bucks. And the Bible says, no, he wouldn't give him any time. And he had him thrown into the debtor's prison. And Jesus is telling us that what others have done against us is so little compared to what we've done against God. And God forgives us, and we should forgive others. But when the king hears about it, he calls the wicked servant who would not forgive. And he says, I forgave you so much, shouldn't you have forgiven your fellow servant? And then he said, hand him over to the tormentors until he is paid off. Now, it's important that phrase, hand him over to the tormentors. And we're going to see that in just a moment. So I want you to keep that in your mind. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew, the fifth chapter, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He says to love, to bless, to do good and to pray for Love, bless, do good, and pray for. When you forgive somebody, you forgive by faith. But every feeling does not leave. So what we need to do when our feelings don't leave is we love, we bless, we do good, and we pray for. Not that they have a car wreck, but that God bless them. Right? That God grant them repentance. And we pray for them the blessings that we would like in our own life. And if you will keep praying 
and keep praying. You say, how long? There is one person that I prayed for for five years. Almost every single day. And you say, why? Well, I forgave them, but I just didn't feel like it sometimes. <laughs> you know, I know you've, you, I get in trouble for this, but, but uh, years ago, we heard Dr. Cho speaking in uh, Seattle, Washington. And uh, Dr. Cho said, uh, he said, I have to pray four hours every day because I hate so many people. Uh, that, that, that really hit me. It's a very, very powerful thing. So, so it is one thing to forgive, but we have to take the next step, right, which is to love and bless and do good and pray for. Now, if you will consistently do that, God does something in your heart. And the Apostle Paul actually refers to it as enlarging your heart, not a medical condition, but a condition where God begins to give you compassion for that person. And that person that I prayed for for five years, uh, literally, I, I, I pray God's blessing. I mean, I can't wait for them to get blessed. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Least anyone falls short of the grace of God. Least any root of bitterness spring up to cause trouble. And by this many, not a few, become defiled. So unforgiveness defiles us. And notice it's like a root. It, it starts out under the ground and it keeps growing. But eventually that root is going to pop up. The translator's New Testament says it this way, that no bitterness spring up to cause trouble and spoil everybody's life. You know, you think that you've got unforgiveness. It just is a little thing inside you. Listen, it will mess with every part of your life and it will mess with the people around you. You think that you can have unforgiveness and focus it like a laser beam. It's, a, it's an atomic bomb. Everything, everybody, every situation around you gets affected when we hold that thing in our hearts. First uh, Peter chapter 2. I, I think that this may be the most unpopular verse, these verses, the most unpopular verses in the entire New Testament. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you're beaten for your fault, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. <laughs> Did you get that? God calls us to do right and have people mistreat us for doing right. And God is pleased when we do right and get mistreated and we handle it properly. It pleases God. Like I said, this is not popular. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. 
Ecclesiastes 7 and 9 says this, don't hasten in your spirit to be angry because anger rests in the bosom of the fool. Anger rests in the bosom of the fool. In other words, there are people that they've got a smile on their face, but right underneath the surface, there's this anger and they're ready to explode. And you may have seen it happen. Somebody does just the littlest thing and they just totally overreact. They absolutely blow up and you're like, what did I do? Nothing. You didn't make them angry. They woke up angry. They went to bed angry. Some of them have been angry for six months, some of them for a year, some of them for a decade, and some of them for 30 and 40 and 50 years. And it's just underneath the surface. Now, it always has to do with unresolved conflict. Always. 100% of the time, there is somebody who did something and they have not forgiven. And they think that that anger is just down there, nobody knows, and it's just towards that one person. But the Bible says it's there and it rests. And there are times when it absolutely explodes. Uh, the book of Esther in the Bible. It's kind of towards the middle a little bit, more towards the beginning. Uh, there is an evil man by the name of Haman who puts together a plot to kill all of the Jews. Specifically because he hates one particular Jew named Haman excuse me, named Haman, named Mordecai. But the Bible says this, that Haman went home and he told them of his great riches. This is the second wealthiest person on the face of the earth in that day. The multitude of his children, his family, every way that the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides the queen Esther invited no one but me to come with the king to a banquet that she has prepared. And tomorrow I'm invited along with her, along with the king. And then this next statement, verse 13. Yet all this avails me nothing. As long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. He said, I'm rich, great family, popular, famous, promoted, but it means nothing. Why? Because he's got hatred in his heart. He has unforgiveness in his heart. And the truth is, you never enjoy the good life that you have and the blessings that you have when you have unforgiveness in your heart. Unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other person, it hurts you. And it keeps us from enjoying the good life that we have. I think Haman is just a great example of it. Uh, October the 2nd, 2006, Charles Roberts IV, 32 years old, drove a terry truck for a living, lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, married to a wonderful woman named Amy. They've got three young children. And if you look from the outside, you would say life was good. But nine years earlier, their first child was born, a little girl, and she lived only 20 minutes. She died. And uh, Charles Roberts blamed God. And he got bitter at God. How I many you know you can not only be bitter at people, but you can be bitter at God? He got angry with God. And when that root of anger 
and unforgiveness grew on the inside. It turned into rage. Again, the Bible says that it springs up and it spoils everybody's life. In addition, when he was 12 years old, he had molested two young relatives. Nobody knew. They were so young that they had no recollection. But he was filled with two deadly poison, shame and rage that came from his unforgiveness. And he decided to seek revenge and get revenge against God. He decided to do it by killing some innocent girls. In his suicide note, this is what he wrote. I'm filled with so much hate towards myself and towards God and this unimaginable emptiness. I'm angry with God and I need to punish some Christian girls and get even with him, with God. He took his guns and his rage and went into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in a little hamlet of Nichols Mine, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. One-room Amish schoolhouse. He went in with a 9-millimeter pistol, a 12-gauge shotgun, a 30 6 rifle, a stun gun, two knives, and 600 rounds of ammunition. There were 25 students and one teacher. He released the boys and the teacher, but he kept the 10 girls, barricaded the door, tied up the girls, and said, I'm going to make you pay. He said, God killed my daughter, but you are going to pay. The girls were from 6 to 13 years old. He shot all 10 of them in the head. Five died, five survived. Then he turned the gun on himself. His wife, Amy, the mother of his three children, was at an in-touch meeting at the local Presbyterian church. The acts of evil, the tragedy that was brought on the Amish community, the slaughter of their innocent children, uh, was devastating to the Amish community. And when Amy found out, she literally went home and barricaded herself in her house. But it's not the end of the story. Before the end of the day, a group of men from the Amish community went to Amy's house, the widow's house. And they told Amy, we've already forgiven your husband, and we want you to know we have no ill will towards you. We know that you too and your children have suffered a great loss and shame. He said, we want you to know we'll help you. We're going to be your neighbors. We're going to be your friends, and we will help you recover. When a state police officer saw it, he literally got on his knees and just wept. Uh, the church is to be the forgiving community of forgiven sinners. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 26, it says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil, nor give place to the devil. In other words, when we do not forgive, it's an open door for Satan to come in and attack our life. Again, if you want to know what something like that looks like, look at what happened when Job was attacked by Satan. He attacked his wealth, his family, his health, his marriage. He was attacked in every way. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, it's probably the best known story in the entire Old Testament. It's David killing Goliath. People know the story. You don't even know it's in the Bible. But the next chapter says that as they were coming back, the ladies come out with tambourines and they're singing and they're saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. 
It says, Saul was very angry at the saying. It displeased him. And he said, they ascribed to David tens of thousands. And to me, they've ascribed but thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that a distressing and evil spirit from God came upon Saul. The next day, he has unforgiveness. He has resentment, bitterness in his heart towards David. And the next day, the next day. It's so important that we as believers understand our authority. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil. He will flee from you. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt or harm you. But we as believers, we need to use that authority when the enemy shows up. Um, many of you know, Jeannie and I, we, we graduated from Bible college. We went to Mexico. We were in the city of Guadalajara. In a matter of just a few weeks, we had started a church. And we were there for, for two years. And then we left, handed that church over to a, a national pastor. And we went and lived in an Indian village for two years. Then we came back to that same city, Guadalajara. And we were teaching in a Bible college. And something happened at the first church. Now, we've been gone for about three, three and a half years. And we're helping to start another church on the other side of town. But in the original church, one of the key members got mad at the pastor. He literally on Sunday morning after church, he came up, started yelling at the pastor and cussed the pastor out in church. Got in his car, squealed his tires down the road as he took off. Months have come and gone. And he hasn't darkened the door of the church. Every place he goes, I'm hearing about what's going on. He's talking about that pastor. He says, that pastor, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That pastor, he's a false prophet. That pastor, he's this. That pastor, he's that. That pastor, that pastor, that pastor. And Janie and I, we, we heard about what's going on. And, and Janie said to me, he said, uh, you need to go and talk to him. And I said, no. I said, I am the ex-pastor. I do not want to get involved. I should not get involved. The Bible talks about the man who gets involved in a quarrel that's not his own. It's like a fool who grabs a dog by the ear. I says, I'm not grabbing no dogs by the ear. No. But I just couldn't get away from it. And she, she, and she couldn't be quiet about it. <laughs> Make a long story short, it is Sunday afternoon. It's like six o'clock or something. And and, and finally, I just said, okay, I'll go. And she literally walked me to the car, opened the door, put me in, and closed the door. Sent me. When I get to their house, I knock on the door. And uh, his wife answered, and I said, well, I'm, I'm here to see your husband. And she said, well, he's upstairs in bed. And I'm like, in bed at this hour? You know, the Latins, they, they do dinner like nine. And I look at her like, what's going on? And she says, you don't know. And I said, no, what? She says, uh, he has a tumor and he's going in tomorrow and they're going to do the prep and they're going to do surgery the following day. And it's very serious. It's life-threatening. And I said, I didn't know that. She said, well, he's upstairs in the bedroom, so go ahead. So I go upstairs and there he is, big old bedroom. He's, in a, he's laying all by himself in his king-size bed. But there's like 30 people in the room, 25 at least. They're all around the wall. You know, in, in Latin culture, uh, they don't wait till you die 
to have a wake. They, you're still alive. Everybody comes and shows they love you. In fact, you're supposed to kind of like the more you stay, the, the, the longer you stay, the, the more you appreciate and the closer you are to that person. But I've come to talk to him about his problem with pastor. And I'm not going to do it in front of 25 people. So I stayed for maybe a half hour. And I thought, I'm getting out of here. So I start shaking hands again. Latin culture, you shake hands with everybody before you leave the room. So I get to like fifth, sixth person. It's his nephew. And he said to me, aren't you going to pray for him? And I thought, no, I'm not. Why would I do that? I know that's not going to make not going to make any difference. He is full of ill will and bitterness towards his pastor. And, and uh, I, I said, well, okay. And I went over and kind of prayed a, a nice little pastoral prayer. I think I knew nothing happened. Everybody there knew nothing happened, and all the demons in hell knew nothing happened. Meantime, he runs downstairs, and I finish, almost finished shaking hands, and he comes back up. He's got this thing of, like, cooking oil, like a three, four-liter thing full of it. And he literally comes over and pushed it into my chest and said, anoint him with oil, like in the Bible in James 5. I'm like, oh, gosh. You know the verse, right? Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And if he's committed in any sins, they'll be forgiven him. And the Lord will raise him up. And I thought, oh, yeah. So I get over there. And I get right next to the bed. And, and uh, I, I said to him, I said, uh, I said, hey, I said, uh, could it be? that maybe you have something against somebody? I'm not very confrontational. And uh, he just looked at me and he said, you know I do. I said, uh, yeah, I've heard some things. I said, uh, do you want to be cut or do you want to be healed? He said, well, I want to be healed. Well, I said, though, you need to forgive. Shared a couple of verses with him that we've been talking about. And he says, okay. He said, I'll do it. I'll forgive him. And I said, well, pray. Right now, just close your eyes and, and pray. And he closed his eyes. and I don't know how long it was. It seemed like forever. Because everybody's looking at the guy with the big thing of oil, you know, talking. And, and he opens his eyes and he says, I did it. I forgave Javier. I forgave Pastor. I said, okay. I said, I'm going to pray for you. James 5, I read it and it says, anoint him with oil. So I take the top off this big thing of oil. And by the way, in Bible school, they tell you just get one little thing on your finger pointing finger, and put it about one inch above where your eyeballs would meet right there. Okay. So if you ever go to Bible college and they have the anointing with oil class, you can say, I can skip it. Pastor Dwayne told me what to do. <laughs> right. But I was just in a mood. I was. I'm just I'm confessing my sins, all right? So I kind of cut my hand like this, and I just went bloop, bloop, bloop. I got some. Poof. Put it right on him. Kind of rubbed it around. You know, and you can look it up. It actually means the anoint, it means to smear. So I was like biblical. I didn't know it at the time, but I was smearing biblically, you know. I prayed for him, right? Prayed for his healing. And I honestly didn't feel anything. 
I shook a few more hands to get the oil off, and I went home. <laughs> this is what they called what they told us later. They said, you were not gone 45 minutes, and the tumor came out of his body. We saw him at least 15 years later, right? No reoccurrence. He was completely healed that Sunday afternoon. Right? Now, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, nor give place to the devil. Somebody might say, what a coincidence. But I tell you what, I honestly believe, I believe his unforgiveness gave place to the devil. The devil came in, and once he closed that door, God's grace and God's mercy flowed to him. Proverbs 14, 30. A calm, peaceful, and tranquil heart is life and health to the body, but passion and envy are like rottenness to the bones. You know, when we forgive, it brings health. It brings health. But when we've got passion, unforgiveness, we've got envy, it's like rottenness to the bones. Say, God made fish to swim in an ocean. He made eagles to fly in the sky, but he made you to have relationship with him. And if you don't have relationship with God, you're living life, but you're not living life to its fullest. You're not living life the way you were intended to live life. Your purpose is to have relationship with God. And if you're watching today and you realize I'm not right with God and I don't have that relationship, would you bow your head and pray a prayer right now with me and begin that relationship with God? Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins and I believe he rose again. And today I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm gonna live for him every day. And I thank you that you love me, that you've heard my prayer, that you receive me, that I am forgiven, and I'm a part of your family now, today and forever, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, God heard that prayer, and you are right with God. Now, I wrote a book to help you keep growing spiritually. It's full of bullet points that are really gonna make a difference in your spiritual walk. And I wanna give it to you absolutely free. Now, you can download that book or you can contact us and we'll send you a hard copy. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We are so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have it mailed to you. Download it right there instantly or you can find it on our app. It's absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. Walking by Faith is used on and off the air to change lives all around the world. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a partner with us. You can either visit walkingbyfaith.tv give, text ResGive to 94000 and select Walking by Faith in the menu, or select the giving icon in our app. Find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and on your favorite social platform by searching for WBF TV. Also, check out our app in your favorite app store. You can download past sermons, follow along with notes, speak confessions over your life, and so much more. I pray that as you go about your week, you start to forgive those who may have hurt you and start to feel the burden be lifted. Remember, forgiveness is freeing you. Be blessed. <laughs>